everything that false teachers teach is false. Some of it is right. Uh, Benny Hinn is a false teacher by every single biblical criterion of the term. If Benny Hinn is not a false teacher, then the term has no meaning. Welcome to the Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Hey, is Justin Peters there? Uh, yes, he is here speaking. Okay, so Justin Peters is with me. We just got back from the Philippines. I know many of you had been praying for us. We are very, very very grateful for those prayers because they were needed and you'll see some of the the fruit of the trip that we had. I do want to say up front for those who helped to donate to allow us to to be able to go for folks who don't know the church there in the Philippines helped take care of things while we were there but both Justin and I uh, committed that we were going to go regardless of whether the funds were coming in for the flights and so we covered our own flights to get out there and they covered things once we were there so people realized that was donated and we are very grateful for those of you who made this possible. We wanted to kind of give you an update on some of the things that went on. Justin, this was your second trip out there to the Philippines, correct? Correct, Andrew. I was there four years ago, yeah, 2015, and um, enjoyed my time very much then. And, but I, I think I enjoyed this trip even more than I did the first one. So it uh, truly was a joy. We got a lot to talk about. So I wanted to g- kind of go day by day and you and I just talk through the events of each day and some of the stuff we did. So we hit the ground running. I mean, Pastor Armand kept us busy. <laughs> that would be a fair assessment, correct? Yeah, yeah, that is that is a fair assessment. And, but you know, I'm glad he did. When, uh, when I go on these trips, when you go on these trips, uh, a lot of times people ask me, well, if you went to so-and-so country, did you see this? Did you see that? And I'm like, no, we typically don't do any sightseeing when we go when I go on international trips. Uh, we, we hit the ground running. We're there for a reason. We're there to preach, teach God's word, evangelize, and that's what we do. So uh, he did keep us busy, but I'm glad he did because that's why we were there. Uh, we did our best to redeem the time, so it was it was good. It was tiring, but it was good. A good a good kind of tired. Yeah, and it was. I mean, we landed. We, originally, the plan was that we were going to go there, have one day of rest without any any activities, so we could adjust to any jet lag and it didn't quite work out that way we we flew in now uh you were not feeling well on that flight in and for folks who are following at least me on on facebook we ended up flying into a, a lightning storm i remember looking out the window as we were coming in and I, we were seeing that lightning just cracking as we were landing and then we were stuck on the ground for about two hours and you weren't feeling good at that time we we barely got much sleep first thing in the morning we were at a radio interview which was an interesting interview i think with knowing what we found found out afterwards, we kind of were like, wow, some of the things we said really may have had an impact there. We had an interview. They interviewed both of us together, talk about the conference, some of the things we'd talk about, then they interviewed you, interviewed me separately. And you and I both brought up the issue of Hillsong and Jesus Culture Music. Why do you think that may have had an impact there? Well, uh, I hope that it had an impact there because the, uh, as we found out towards the, kind of towards the end of our time, they, uh, this particular radio station plays a lot of the Jesus culture and, and Hillsong music. And, uh, initially the interviews seemed to go very well. 
and they seemed to be in support of the things that we were saying about Jesus culture and Hillsong, which for those who may not know, who may be uh, new to this, we are very much opposed to playing Hillsong songs in church and, and Jesus culture songs in church because these two groups come from heretical churches, false churches, Hillsong from the same name, Hillsong Church in Sydney, Australia, uh, Jesus culture from Bethel Church, pastored by Bill Johnson, Redding, California. Both of these are false churches, and so when when you play their music, even if the music that you're playing may pass a basic doctrinal smell test, uh, when you when you play their music in, in church, uh, the unsuspecting person out there sitting in the pew reading the lyrics on the screen, they see in the fine print, kind of the bottom left hand corner, I think it is, uh, music by Hillsong, music by Jesus Culture, and they see that and they think, oh wow, that's Hillsong, Jesus Culture. Um, I think I'll check them out. They're, they're, they must be okay because we're singing their songs in church. And Bethel and Hillsong use their music as a hook to pull you into their heretical system, heretical theological system. So so I strongly warn churches, and I know I'm really going against the, the stream of thought here, the prevailing mainstream of thought in evangelical churches, but I really urge people, churches, pastors, music ministers, don't sing Hillsong songs in your church. Don't sing Jesus culture music in your church because these are coming from false churches, heretical churches. So anyway, all that to say, uh, I, I think uh, this radio station, Saved Radio, they, they rely on a lot of Hillsong and Jesus culture. So I don't know. I, I don't know uh, what kind of fruit, if any, uh, that will that will bear in, in that particular radio station and, and in the uh, hearts of of those who interviewed us, they were really nice folks. You know, really, really nice folks. I think you would echo that. But, uh, they were agreeing with us as we were even talking about Hillsong. Well, most of them, I should say, were agreeing yeah. with us when we were talking about these things and the dangers of, of playing that music. Except for there was one one gentleman who, while you were being interviewed, when it was your solo interview, and you were mentioning something about Hillsong, I, I ended up talking with the, the one of the guys there, and he's like, wow, if we cut that out, we, we don't have much music in our playlist. And I was like, you could find some other good stuff. And we should never yeah. let the, the what the audience audience may want to listen to be the determining factor in what we're going to play on a radio station. That's right. That's right, Andrew. You shouldn't let the audience, but you know, it comes down to a function of supply and demand. Unfortunately, for the vast majority of of, uh, churches and ministries out there, whatever the demand is, that's what they will supply. And it's uh, sad that that's the case, but uh, that is reality. But yeah, you shouldn't uh, let popular demand dictate the content of your broadcast or your ministry, your teaching, uh, because if you do that, if you if you try to cater to popular demand, inevitably you're going to go into some really bad theological weeds because most people don't want sound doctrine. That's not what they want. Uh, they want things to tickle the ears. So uh, it's always 100% of the time a recipe for disaster to cater to the prevailing thought and give people what they want to hear. Biblical reality is is that um, what people want to hear is not what they need to hear. I would rather than play Johnny Cash or, you know, <laughs> Ricky Staggs or, or uh, Mozart or something than, than Jesus Culture and Hillsong. We did appreciate the ability to be able to communicate with them some, some things that may have been hard for some of them to hear, but they, they seemed receptive. I think that that was really good. We got after that, we did get a little bit of a break for us to get some last-minute study in. Then we went to the church and did a basically a Q and A with the with Pastor Armand's church, a Rock of Refuge Christian Church. 
there in, in Manila. And so we were able to spend some time with with that local church, which was really a blessing. I, they said it was a blessing to them. I, I don't know about you. I felt, felt it was more of a blessing for us getting to know some of them. And that was more of just a kind of an informal, just Q&A, any kind of questions. It was a sweet time of fellowship with them. And uh, I love the people in that church, you know, Armand and Jackie and his family and all the others. I pastored John there as well. And his family, just dear, dear, sweet people, just precious, precious saints there. Uh, so gracious, so humble, so willing to serve and put in tremendous hours in making all of this trip come together and the two different conferences, two main conferences that we did. The type of questions that we got led me to believe that this was a mature church. This In America, I yeah. found a lot of kind of fluff type questions when you do a Q&A with a, a, a church. They're, they're not deep theological type things. The, the folks there wanted to discuss the things of God. You mentioned Pastor Armand's uh, family. We're going to actually play an interview with a member of his family who I believe impressed both of us very quickly, and that would be his daughter, Abigail. Yes, yes, indeed. I, I tell you, um, two points. Yes, you're right. It's, it's always interesting to me the uh, the kind of questions that I'm asked in different churches. You can generally kind of get a feel for the depth of the church uh, reflected in the kind of questions that are asked. Uh, and the deeper the questions, of course, that reflects on the deeper level of teaching at that particular church that the Christians, you know, if there's something like, uh, you know, did, did Adam have a belly button or something like that? You can tell that, you know, the teaching's not particularly deep. But so any, I, I thought, uh, yes, even though I can't recall any of the questions off the top of my head right now, I do remember that they were good questions, weighty questions, uh, not shallow, required some thinking, what, what, couldn't answer them in one or two sentences. So, uh, yeah, that, that reflected very well on the teaching there, as did, as you said, uh, little Abigail, 14-year-old Abigail, Armand and Jackie's daughter. You and I both, Andrew, were just blown away by Abigail. Now, all three of their kids are as sweet as they can be. But, of course, Abigail is a little bit older. Uh, she's the oldest of the three, and so she can. You know, she's getting to the age where she can process through some of these theological things and, and uh, begin to integrate on and study on her own at a, at, a, at a deep level. I tell you, you can just tell that those kids are taught very, very well by their parents, Jackie and Armand. And just, yeah, I, I guess you said we're going to play a, a clip of her. And I, I was just, I put it up on YouTube too. I actually had a full interview with her that we did while we were, while we're down there. So at the, at the end of this episode, I'm going to, I'll play that interview that I had with her. She runs a couple of, of pages on Facebook where you, you look at those pages, you realize some of the maturity of her, but i blown away. I mean, one of the questions that came in that you and I had to answer was the question of how do you encourage us to mature in our faith? What type of things should we be studying to mature in our faith? And the one thing that I had mentioned is to study the attributes of God. I explained how that helped me and how I think our theology is rooted in that. And when you have a good understanding of the attributes and nature of God, you're theology is going to be more accurate because a lot of the theology that's bad, you end up finding they're messing with the attributes of God, or I think as you refer as the perfections of God. We talked about that, and the next day she comes up to me, we're at breakfast, and she's, she's just like, you know, Mr. Andrew, that was that was so helpful about the attributes. I, I decided to get your card on the attributes of God, and I, I used it in my devotions this morning and just prayed through those attributes and meditated on that, and, she, and I'm like going... Wow, and she's only fourteen. <laughs> like, she's applying yeah. things that she learns immediately, and then she's talking, and and she'll talk about this on on the interview I have with her. But she talks about how that made an impact on her. And you and I were just 
very blown away by the maturity that that she had oh yeah absolutely absolutely blown away i i don't think i've ever talked to a 14 year old who knows as much as she does and studies at the level that she does and and uh and just sweet as she can be too just cute as a button well and then uh, then we have the question of have you ever been around anyone that hands out more tracks than yeah, all three of the I mean, kids actually that's a whole other, yeah, that's a whole other facet to this. Is one night we were in, uh, in fact, the last night we were there, wasn't it? So we went to uh, kind of have a meal together in a mall, and we got all of the tracks that we had on us. Some of my personal tracks I had, and I think some of yours, we gave them to those kids, and they just, they got rid of them in no time. I've got video of it. I, I videoed the, those kids going up around the, all these people sitting there on the steps. Abigail and Lena uh, took the, took the tracks and just went up and handed them all out. Almost everybody took them. In every restaurant we went to, they were handing out tracks and there are track machines. Yeah. So the next day we, we got up, we did a, a conference for pastors. It was, it was geared specifically to pastors. I did the morning sessions, did three sessions on church discipline, which I expected when, when Pastor Armand said, we're going to, we're going to do a conference for pastors on church discipline. I'm like, so we'll have about four or five people, you know, uh, <laughs> right? That room was packed. I, th- I forget what he said. I'm, I'm thinking there was 150 or so folks there. I did the morning sessions on church discipline. You did an afternoon session on, you know, based off of your book on, on childhood conversion. Then we did a Q&A we, you know, for the, that group that was there. I think that was really helpful. I would honestly say I don't know too many times where we had topics of church discipline and there was a packed room. And, and I'll, I'll throw this out there again, too, is the next day, Abigail was asking me all kinds of questions one-on-one at breakfast about church discipline and how how would you implement this and what about this sort of situation. I'm really showing she was thinking through it, but I was just very pleased with seeing the local pastors there having a desire to want to learn about church discipline and childhood conversion and baptism and whether we should baptize children. I didn't expect to have a lot of people there. Really was helpful in, in gearing up for the conference that was going to be coming that weekend, but we got a, a lot of good teaching in there regarding issues related to the church, specifically geared toward pastors. Yes, yeah, I agree, Andrew. The, the room was packed. There was, what, probably hundred over 100 people that were there for the church discipline, uh, maybe 150. Uh, most of them pastors, or a good number of them pastors, and yeah, they were very interested in, in what you had to say about church discipline. I was really encouraged to see that because, as you know, so very few churches practice church discipline. I mean, it's almost unheard of. I would say 20 years ago, probably hardly any churches did it. Thankfully, by God's grace, with the renewed interest in Reformed theology and um, doctrines of grace, it's a few more are doing it, but it's still the vast, vast majority of churches don't but uh yeah there was a lot of interest in it pastors seem very grateful for the teaching and uh i may be jumping john here but uh, maybe we can talk about this a little bit later once we get to it but uh, some of the criticism you and i got uh they they quoted the main passage dealing with church discipline matthew 18 and yet there's some of the uh, these very people that quote matthew 18 that go to churches that don't even practice church discipline which is uh, more than a little ironic so anyway Wait, are you are you saying not everybody loved having us down there? <laughs> not, not everybody. You know, when Jesus said, "Woe to you when all men speak well of you," I, I think you and I are. Uh, I think you and I are okay on that, at least on that front. Because 
not, not everybody speaks well of it. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> we were, we are going to get to that before too long. So, so we had we so we get there. We have the radio interview first thing. We we do a Q and A with the church that evening. Uh, next morning, the whole day, we're doing this uh, basically conference for local pastors. Now, the next day, you and I went in different locations. So you went for a radio interview, and then you went to the mall to do some evangelism. While you were at the radio interview, I was doing an open-air evangelism training, and then I took a team of folks, actually the, all the folks that had been at that training, we went to that same mall you were at, they got a permit to amplify inside the mall, something I've never been able to do in the U.S., but we actually were evangelizing in the mall, in the atrium. I did an open-air training. It was it was maybe two sessions, two one-hour sessions, so it was kind of quick. We basically went over some, some things of how to go about doing open-air evangelism, how things that would help with evangelism in general, but then specifically we really want to focus on doing open air because in the Philippines, as you and I discovered, there are issues with open air because most of the guys who do open air down there, the first thing they do is ask for money before doing open air or ask for money before, you know, like for giving gospel tracts. And that made it where people were a little bit leery of, of the open air because they were, they were expecting us to be asking for money from them. And so it was one of the things that I learned from that, and it came in handy when I did the open air to mention that things were free. But while I was doing that, you were at a radio station. How, how'd that interview go? Uh, it went really well. Uh, in fact, that uh, interview was, uh, I think it went better than the first one that we did the very first morning we were there. So we were at a, a different uh, building, different radio station, and uh, uh, the the lady who interviewed me is very very much like minded. Um, I made it up the elevator as far as we could go, and then there was like three flights of steps that the elevator didn't go to, and they had to put me in a put me in a chair. And some guys got around and they lifted me up in this chair and toted me up all those steps. <laughs> And uh, they were they were a bit winded by the time we got to the top of that, uh, understandably so. So, uh, but super nice folks and uh, just everybody there was great and, and just couldn't do enough to help me whenever I needed help. And so, um, I don't even think that interview has been aired yet. I think they're going to air it. I don't know sometime really soon, but uh, it hasn't aired yet. So, by God's grace, that that will bear some fruit as well. But that. That interview was done by someone, I think, exactly where we are theologically. And I'll try to see if I can grab all the links for those things and put them into the show notes, if I if I can find them, if they've aired. Afterwards, after that, you went to the mall and just handed out some tracks, you know, ended up going back to do some more research, because you were doing some research specifically on some of the local folks there, and we'll, we're going to get to that in a bit. I ended up taking the team of folks that we, we did the training with to the mall, we we had a box of um, books, booklets that were provided by Wretched Radio, or I guess just Wretched now because they're, they're radio and TV, right? So uh, they had donated a whole box of, or actually more than one box. We had them for the conference, but we took a box there. And as we I was doing the open air, one of the things I was already told was that the, the Filipinos will not come up and talk, even though we had a microphone and a, and a box for, the, for people to dialogue with us. Nobody actually came up. It was just me and then a couple other brothers that were doing just preaching the gospel. 
But then I realized we had this box of books, and I, I just mentioned to folks, here, th- these books are for you. They're free. You could take them. And after one person walked up, then slowly a lot of those books disappeared. People were, were coming up during the preaching. We had people recording it, people that were you know, like four stories high. People were up uh, upstairs looking down to hear the message. So I think it was good. The gospel went forth. We got a lot of good one-on-one conversations. And the next day was the Saturday for really the, what we were there for was the conference at the Sky Dome uh, the, on discernment. There was uh, about, I think uh, they said 1,100 people in attendance. I personally was really impressed with the fact that the air conditioning unit stopped working very early on to that conference, and very few people left. I think the only people we heard of who left were, um, well, some female pastors that didn't like some of the things that were said about women preaching. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, no, they did. Uh, I remember from the first time I was in the Philippines four years ago that there's a, a really big issue in the Philippines, and not just Philippines, it's here in the States, it's all over the world, but um, maybe a bit more acute in the Philippines than some other places of there being female pastors. And uh, so I, I dealt with that in my teaching in the uh, first conference there in Manila, the really big one where we had, I think, about 1,100 people attend. I show up for that conference. And so I dealt with that and yeah, not, not everyone was thrilled with that. There was um, in both Manila and Cebu, uh, the next conference there in Cebu, further South in the Philippines, uh, there were some female pastors from what we were informed that, uh, attended. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think they were very happy with what we had to say. And, uh, we were both very clear on this. In fact, in the Q and a, we were asked about it and you, Andrew said, uh, if you have a female pastor, A, she's not a pastor, B, it's not a, it's not a church. She's not a pastor and you don't have a real church. And, and uh, we were very black and white on that because the Bible is very black and white on that. There should not be any confusion about this. And um, so, but I also have heard that maybe one or two of the lady pastors who were there um, expressed some, you know, some sentiment that uh, what we said gave them some pause and gave them some something to think about. So um, I hope that that's the case. Well, there was even a question that came up in Cebu at the Cebu conference. And when we talk about the Manila and Cebu, we did the same conference on Saturday in Manila. And then we flew down to Cebu and did the same conference on a Tuesday. So, uh, or yeah, it was a Tuesday there. And so we're, we, we did the same basic messages, but in two places, but in Cebu, we were asked the question and, and speak about being direct the question was something like, you know, if you have a female pastor, how what do you do to transition to having a male pastor? And if the second part of the question is, if no men step up, what do you do? And I was pretty direct. I, you know, I just said, well, if, if you, you know, to transition to a male pastor, you fire the female pastor. Uh, if no man steps up, close the church. And there was there was a group of, of female pastors that were just like ooh I didn't realize they were female pastors at the time, but I just I, I think because I was so direct with it maybe that was was the issue, but it did seem that that question was being asked. My understanding was from someone who is questioning her role as a female pastor, and so that that may be why she she asked the question. I do think it there in that aspect there was the clarity in which we spoke on that issue, I think helped some folks to realize that this isn't just, you know, first Timothy two, 
12 and 14 is not some cultural issue. It's actually an issue based in the creation order. We went through that when I taught on on how to interpret the Bible. And I think it was clear. So let's actually go through the, the topics. You started us off with a topic on the sufficiency of Scripture, which was essential, I think, to start off with because of the fact that we're talking about discernment and it really set the tone. Why Why is the sufficiency of Scripture so important when we're going to talk about discernment like we did? Yeah, Andrew, I tell people all the time that the real battle over the Bible today is not so much over inerrancy uh, in and of itself, though some of those fires still smolder, but, but where the real battle is being fought today, and I understand that they're, both of these are inextricably linked, but most people don't understand that. Uh, but the, where the real battle is being fought today is over sufficiency. Is God's word sufficient? And we are losing that battle big time. So my my first session in Manila and Cebu, uh, talking about how God does and does not speak to us, it's, it's almost unquestioned today that God speaks to us in a still, small voice or inner impressions, things like that. And um, uh, we've created a... a a whole lingo and a position that really is not supported by scripture at all. We hear people say, well, I, I feel like God is, is saying such and such to me. I think God said such and such. I, you know, it, it, you won't find that language anywhere in scripture. When God spoke, it was crystal clear as to what he was saying. There's no ambiguity about what God said. So this whole, you know, I feel like God told me, I think God told me that's, that's a, that is language that is foreign to Scripture. You won't see that anywhere, Old or New Testament. But if we allow for this, that God is speaking outside of Scripture in a direct quotable sense, well, A, we've got an open canon of Scripture again, because whatever God says should be just as authoritative as any verse in the Bible. But B, what we're also saying is, is that the Word of God is not enough. It's not enough, even though God's Word tells us that it is enough. That it is uh, the word of God is uh, our, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished adequately, fully equipped uh, unto every good work. And so God's word tells us it's sufficient. And yet in, in how we kind of live out the Christian life, the, the lingo that we use and and things like, well, God spoke to me to tell me to do this, to do that. Pastor, God spoke to me, told me to tell you our church needs to go this direction. And what we're saying is, is that God's word is not sufficient. We need these extra revelations from God. God needs to speak to us outside of Scripture so that we can really know what his will is for our lives. And if we can't hear him speak to us, then as Henry Blackaby says, author of Experiencing God, we are in trouble, quote, we are in trouble at the very heart of our Christian experience. So, um, yeah, this this is where the, the battle is being fought today. Is, is God's word sufficient? And um, for the vast majority of people who profess to be believers, it's not. Yeah, you know, this and, this was a thing that I, I'm seeing on my my. Twitter, you know, Reformation pages put out uh, the meme, the one that you referred to that I had said about the, the, you know, if you have a woman pastor, it's, she's not a pastor, it's not a church. And there's a woman who's been going after me for days because she's upset that I would say this. And I'm saying, but what does First Timothy 2 say? 
and and myself and some others are saying this is talking about a creation order issue. This is not culture. And she's like, well, I don't think it means that. God speaks to me. And it's so the, the thing is, you see people that will reject the clear teaching of God's word because it doesn't speak to them. And that's why I think it was so essential to start on the sufficiency of scripture because when you started there, you set the tone for, for both of the conferences. You set the tone to say, our authority is going to be the word of God, not what you feel, not what you think it says, not what you want it to say, but what it actually says, which, which was what led into my topic, which was how to interpret God's word. Because once we realize that the, the scriptures are the, the thing that we look to as an authority to discuss this stuff, well, now we, we need to know how do we interpret it. And so I did a session on basically giving the basic principles, a very practical session on how to interpret the Bible. And I, the feedback I got from that really was unexpected. I did not get, I was not expecting so many people to come up and, and still emailing and sending messages on Facebook, on Twitter, even as, even as of yesterday, getting messages saying that that encouraged people to study the Bible, that they now feel that they have some tools and some training to know how to rightly handle it. Because in some of those churches that you and I talked about, like, like victory and, and the, the other word of faith churches, G, G12, they, they don't give their people the tools to interpret because if they did, these people would realize that their pastors are not teaching accurately. Right. Yep. That, that's right. That's right. And I, I agree, Andrew, there's probably no better compliment or no, no better word of encouragement I could possibly receive from someone than to hear them say, after hearing you teach, you, you have made me want to study my Bible more. You made me want to go deeper into the scriptures. There was really nothing else. <laughs> There's nothing better you could say to me. There's no, no thing that you could say that would encourage me more than that right there, because that's what we want people to do. That, that is the good fruit that um, we pray that God will, will bear in, in our ministries. And um, as long as we handle God's word rightly, teach it rightly and, conduct ourselves in such a way that brings honor and glory to Christ. Uh, that's what he's going to do in, in, in any ministry that is grounded in the word of God. That's uh, when we rightly understand God's word, it should create in us a, a desire to uh, study it further. And so, yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> it, we can, we can go, we could go all year long on one word of encouragement like that. Yeah, uh, and we had many. We had many. Now, granted, it, I mean, there's a, there were 1,100 people at the first conference in Cebu. I think they said there was 250 at that one. And that was, by the way, that was on a Tuesday. So this is a work day, and they, they filled the room. They actually had to cut off um, registration. But the third topic that we had was where you started getting into dealing with discernment itself. So, and you did this in two parts. You covered two things. One, you were really covering discernment. How do we discern? You covered the issues of people that we needed to be discerning. You dealt with people that were, you basically dealt with some things with the Roman Catholic Church and people that were compromising on that. So you did two sessions on that. Um, let's talk about those. Now, That those sessions are the ones that probably brought the most uh, controversy for us or people that were unhappy with us because you named names. And, I mean, you named more names than I did. I, I, I grant you that. 
um, you're a bolder man than me. No, it, but you did. You named some names, and let's be honest, you quoted people, and people were upset that you did that. So uh, we're, I want to get into the controversy later, but at this point, just to say that you did provide quote, direct quotations from people. We had audio from them. We You played the video clips. So what was the goal in in what were you trying to teach as far as discernment? And a second question I want from you is why do you did you feel it necessary to name some of the names of, of folks that were local there versus just mentioning the the people we deal with here that are in Word of Faith or NAR? Sure. Well, the discernment is vitally, vitally important for the believer today. It's not an option, it is a mandate. All of us are commanded by Scripture to exercise discernment. Paul says in First Thessalonians 5.21 that we are to test all things uh, and hold fast to that which is good. We are to examine everything through the lens of Scripture. It's not an option. It's our mandate. And the, what makes false teaching so pernicious is that not everything that false teachers teach is false. Some of it is right. Uh, Benny Hinn is a false teacher by every single biblical criterion of the term. If Benny Hinn is not a false teacher, then the term has no meaning. Uh, And yet, um, Benny Hinn, not everything that he says is wrong. A lot of what he says is right. But it's that truth mixed with error that is so profoundly dangerous. And so if we don't exercise discernment, if we don't search the scriptures to see if these things are so, per Acts chapter 17, verse 11, uh, then we will ingest poison right along with a little bit of truth and a little bit of poison can kill you it's very very dangerous and, and it so, can stump it can stump someone's growth. I mean, we saw this with uh, several oh, people absolutely. who who were in these churches that victory and, and g12 that were they just haven't been growing spiritually and they suddenly realize what they've been missing so it hurts the the yeah. person who's under the teaching as well yeah oh yeah absolutely and uh yeah, by God's grace, we've heard many comments from people as a result of the two conferences there in the Philippines. Uh, they their eyes were open. They realized they were they've been in bad churches and not being taught well. Uh, like maybe maybe for the first time, they're actually they actually heard good sound teaching. And and once you get a taste of it, if if you're truly a believer, if you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, once you get a taste sound doctrine, then uh, you're going to want more. You're gonna you're gonna your eyes will be opened. Uh, and you're gonna you're gonna be asking where can I get more of this? Uh, where and you're gonna seek it out. And so we we saw that happen in the Philippines. Praise the Lord. And uh, and as to your other question, why did I name names? I did. I, I named some names of some local uh, prosperity preachers there, false teachers there, and uh, I, I did so for two reasons. Well, I named names because it's biblical to do that. Uh, there is absolutely a biblical precedent for calling out false teachers by name. The Apostle Paul did so. He named Hymenaeus, he named Philetus, he, uh, Peter did so, John did so. Uh, so there is a biblical precedent for calling out false teachers by name. It's not something that we should do lightly. You know, we shouldn't call somebody a false teacher if they differ with us on some relatively minor secondary issue. You know, that's not what we're talking about here. But if they if they routinely compromise the gospel, uh, compromise fundamental doctrines of historical Christianity, then yes, we are. It is our responsibility to call them out uh, by name. 
uh, we've got to warn the flock of wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, four years ago when I was in the Philippines, uh, I taught on much the same subject matter, but I didn't name any of the, well, I think I named one briefly, but I didn't really name any of the uh, native uh, Filipino, indigenous Filipino false teachers. I stuck with Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and Joyce Meyer and Joseph Prince. Joseph Prince is pretty close to the Philippines, but um, this time I named more of the Filipino false teachers. Uh, uh, Bo Sanchez, Joey Bonifacio. You got me. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had, I, the, the joke there is I had trouble pronouncing his name uh, like basically yeah. throughout the whole conference. Yeah, and now I am. But uh, yeah, Bo Sanchez, um, Joey uh, Bonifacio, Bonifacio, Jim Lafoon. Uh, there's there's several of them that I mentioned. Uh, we mentioned Robert and, Morris. Uh, yeah, Robert we, Morris is here in the states, but he's he, quite popular in the Philippines. Uh, oh, who else? Uh, John Paul Herrera. I mentioned him, and so and it really it really resonated with the folks here there because they know these names. You know, these are very very popular preachers in some uh, large word faith slash NAR slash prosperity slash seeker sensitive churches in the Philippines. And so uh, when I named these guys, uh, their ears really perked up because they knew the names, you know, and, and uh, uh, church like Victory Christian Fellowship and some others. So, yeah, I did that. And, and even though it made a lot of people mad, there were, there were many, many more people who were very, very grateful. And um, so, you know, I, when, when, when they, when I, after the first conference in Manila, and I named these names publicly, and then the son of one of the prosperity preachers, the son of Joey Bonifacio, David Bonifacio, he tagged me on Twitter and just started blasting me. The folks that we were with, uh, who had hosted us, Jackie and uh, Armand and Pastor John and others at uh, Rock of Refuge Church, Good Church, you know, I think it kind of took them a little bit by surprise, and they were initially maybe a little concerned. But, um, but you know, they, they stuck to their guns. They were grateful for it. And I told them, I quoted Thomas Fuller, a, a Puritan preacher, and he said, if I speak what is false, I must answer for it. If truth, it will answer for me. And so that's, that's what we have to do. We, we speak the truth. And we trust God with the results, whatever those results are. As long as we speak the truth, we should have the blessing of having a clear conscience, and we trust God for the results. And and uh, you know, let's. I want to jump into the the controversy that was created. I'll just mention my last talk that I did was going through the book of Jude, and I looked through the entire book. There's 28 characteristics of a false teacher in the book of Jude, and we went through. Basically, I we went through the entire book line by line and described. Each of these characteristics that we see of false teachers, and that identified with a lot of people because one person came up to me and said, you know, I was in a really bad church, and I think my previous pastor had every one of those characteristics. That that was really bad. But that that was really helpful for folks to see a way to be able to take a step back and look at the characteristics of a false teacher and then realize some of these people that you were mentioning and I was mentioning have these characteristics, um, so yeah. before we get into the controversy, I'll just, I'll open up to, if there was anything on that message you wanted to bring up and then let's get into 
what what we are dealing with online. No, you did a really good job with it, and and uh, you're right that, that false teachers have hallmarks, don't they? They have kind of uh, uh, markers that we can look for, and, and the whole book of Jude really deals with false teachers, and it's kind of like a, <laughs> it's like Jude was written for us so that we can know how to recognize false teachers. And it is interesting, though, as Jude opens his short little letter, that uh, it's not a task that he wanted to do. He would rather have talked about the gospel, but it was a task that was necessary to do. So, um, yeah, I I thought it was very, very helpful. Uh, I myself learned some things, and uh, I thought you did a great job with it. And and let me also say, I, I hear a lot from people, oh, well, you know, why don't you just preach the God? Why don't you just talk about the truth? You don't have to focus on the negative. Well, it's not that we focus on the negative, but the fact of the matter is, there's 27 books in the New Testament, Andrew. 26 of them deal at some level with false doctrine, false teaching, false teachers. It's a very prominent theme in the New Testament. The only book in the New Testament that does not deal with it is Philemon, and that's... <laughs> But even Philemon deals with an issue that's uh, controversial in its own right, and slavery. So, um, you know, so if you're if you're wanting to get away from controversy, stay away from the New Testament. But, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and that was something yeah. you said. You said that, and I was like, wow, I didn't think about that. That the only book in the New Testament that doesn't address in some way false teachers was Philemon. I was like, wow, and I started looking that up, and I was like, wow, yeah, that's that's true. It's a pretty important point. So, so we we ended up, as you mentioned. David Bonifacio basically said, "Hey, it's it sounded like it was his dad's birthday, and we were we were doing a character assassination." You know, I literally this just came in before we started recording. I got a message, so this is fresh. This is this, we're, we've now been a couple of weeks removed from that conference, and we're still getting messages. I, I had someone that just contacted me and said, "You know, hey, Pastor." I admire the way you stood up to David Bonifacio on Justin Peters' thread. You're one of the few brave souls willing to risk getting ostracized for speaking the truth, which is very rare these days. And there was something that that you and I both had a different way of dealing with him, and he was the one that really sparked stuff coming after us. He he then later took the post down and uh, tried putting it up in different places and different ways where maybe we wouldn't respond. And I kept responding the same way. We'll get to what I did. But <clears throat> there was some reaction from these folks. And there was an accusation that they made. And I, I want to address this because this is something that I noticed. And I know you and I talked about this. I noticed that this is a very very common way of having false teachers deal with these things because what they what they're doing is they're basically trying to prevent any discussion where they can play the victim card and they make you look like you know you're being the bad person so what is it that he was what accusation was it that they were doing other than saying you were mischaracterizing them and or a, a character assassinating them what is it that they kept saying we didn't do and we should have done before we said anything in public, yeah, they said they uh, they they said that we should have come to them first privately before we said anything publicly about their uh, false teaching. Of course, they wouldn't call it false teaching, but we would. The Bible would. But yeah, when they said we should have gone to them privately first if we had any questions before we talked about them publicly, and they said cited Matthew eighteen, of course, which I find highly ironic because. 
these people who quoted Matthew 18 go to churches that never actually practice Matthew 18. But, um, yeah, that's what they said that they wanted. Now, let's be fair. Uh so folks know, one of the things we did do, we, we were trying to work with the local churches down in the Philippines before we even got there, months before we got there, and we, we, we were trying to set up a meeting where we can meet with these people that we were going to name. We wanted to be able to talk to them about what we were going to say at the conference. We tried. They didn't all accept some. It's hard to get a hold of these people. They're, you know, you, you send off an email through the website. They may never see it. But we, we did do some attempt to try to set up a meeting beforehand. However, let me ask you this question, because this is how you answered some of the folks. Is there a requirement to reach out to them privately for what they say publicly? And, and you and I addressed this a lot in Cebu in the Q&A because it came up a couple times, probably because of what happened in Manila. Is there a requirement? Because this is the thing, Theology Gals just did an episode with Mops on MOPS International and addressing some things. And the president of MOPS contacted him. And the very first thing is, why didn't you come to me privately? And Colleen had said she was so thrilled when she listened to our conference in Cebu because the very things you and I said is how she was responding because she's like, that's exactly the same thing. Do you need to go to them privately for what they say publicly? Can you quote them or do you have to go to them first? No, uh, you don't have to go to them first uh, for several reasons. Matthew 18 of course, is dealing with church discipline, how you play that out, steps of church discipline, and it, it really is dealing with the local church. You know, I, uh, uh, local church context, and none of these people that we talk about are part of our local church, obviously. And the other thing, though, is you were not slandering them because a slander is based, for slander to be slander, it is defined as, saying false statements for the purpose of damaging someone's reputation. You are quoting these people. So when we look at this, we have to look at what slander actually is. Slander is when someone says a false statement for the purpose of ruining someone's reputation. You, Justin, when you were naming some of these names, you were quoting what they actually said in public. This is public. And one of the things you kept telling folks was, you're a public ministry. What you say in public can be criticized. What they say in public can be criticized because it's a public ministry. They were trying to say that you quoting them was slander and character assassination. That's not true. You pointed that out. Why is that important to point out to folks? Because you, you wanted to make that point to express them what was wrong with what they were saying. Yes. Um, well, Right. They, they accused us of slander and of character assassination, even though all I did was quote them. And so as you astutely pointed out, if, if quoting someone is slander, then, the, then, uh, the, then you must have a really low view of the person who's being quoted. But so, so all we did is quote them. So these people that we uh, criticized or critiqued, they have public ministries. And uh, if you have a public ministry, your, your ministry is open to public critique, as is mine as is yours. You and I both have public ministries, and you and I both received our fair share of public uh, critique. I uh, hope uh, most of it are unjustified. But, um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, public ministries are open to public critique, and that's, uh, that's just the way it is and the way it, it should be, quite honestly. So uh, we didn't slander anyone. Slander is a sin. Speaking the truth is not sinful, obviously. Now, if I had gotten up and 
misquoted them intentionally. If I had gotten up and said these people teach things that they really do not teach, then there's a problem. Then I'm in sin. But uh, that is not what we did. Uh, we are simply following the biblical mandate to test everything through the lens of Scripture, uh, to be Bereans, and to warn people about wolves in sheep's clothing. That's what we were doing. And I had a different tact to how I wanted to deal with it, which was you were, you were trying to point out, hey, look, listen, this is public ministry. This is We're both open to critique. I just quoted him. There was nothing slanderous about that, no character assassination. But I chose a different tact that I really wanted to get across because I think there's a hypocrisy that we see in these people. Uh, I had it recently where, where I commented on something about Beth Moore when she was preaching publicly and someone said, well, have you gone to her privately? Well, give me her number. I'll give her a call. I'd be happy to. But the reality is, is that when people do things in public and then people say, oh, you got to go to them privately. I address this in Cebu, you know, in 1 Corinthians 5, we see that Paul doesn't say, oh, go privately when someone's sleeping with his father's wife. No, you put him out of the church immediately. There shouldn't be any delay in this because it's a public sin and it's it's out there in public. Now, one of the things I find so interesting is they wanted us to, to go to them privately. And the question I kept asking over and over, and this is why I think David Bonifuso removed his post is the fact that I kept saying, why have you not come to us privately? We'll meet you Wednesday night, because you and I were going to land in, from Cebu. We were going to land, and we were willing to set up a meeting with these people to discuss what was said at the conference. And they, each of them, there was about three people, and each of them refused to meet with us Wednesday. And one guy said he would, as long as like we went right from the airport, I was supposed to drive to his location being that I have no car, I don't know the area, uh, you know, and I had, there wasn't the time. He was, he said an exact time that wouldn't have allowed for it, but we, we were willing to meet with folks, but the issue is they never met with us and they said things in public. And this is the thing that I think upset many of them and made David have to take his post down and his brother, Joe, Joseph, who posted something and, and I believe took it down. It's because the hypocrisy. They're out there saying that you and I did not go to them privately before saying something publicly, and they're saying that in public, having never come to us in private. If they feel that that is a rule that must be followed, then they should follow it. You and I don't hold to that view. You and I don't think it's a sin to quote someone in what they say in public. But when they start saying, as they said, they said, you and I uh, parachuted in, and we were doing it for money, and which was very interesting because the, one of the guys that said that you and I parachuted in for money, we were just looking to make all this money. They calculated how many people were at the conference, and there was a, a money that was, you know, asked for, for for registration because they had to actually rent the Sky Dome, and they provided lunch, and they said we did it for money, and I said really. Justin and I were not getting paid for this. We came here because of the need. We flew on money that was raised from our donors in the States. So we came out not asking for anything, not expecting anything. We paid our own way. And the interesting thing is then the conversation changed into, well, you should get paid. Well, that, that's not the point. We, if we agree that we're going to come here to help out, we're going to agree to that. But I, it was amazing how he ignored the fact that the accusation was you and I did it because of the money, we were trying to make money, and then when he finds out we weren't making any money, 
all of a sudden the tune changes and he ignores the fact that what he said is wrong. You were accused yeah. of, which was kind of funny, uh, David Bonifacio, Bonifacio, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name. It's just, I, Bonifacio, I'm finally getting it right as now I messed you up and you can't get it right. But David Bonifacio made the accusation against you looking for money because you have a donate button on your website. And I, you know, took a screenshot of his church's website and circled where it has a big give button and they have a link too. So it, somehow it's it's wrong for you to ask for donations in the states to pay to fly your way to the Philippines and not get paid for that. But it's it's okay if he does it in his church. Right. Yeah. Hypocrisy at its finest. And um, and yeah, you're right, Andrew. We we went on this trip uh, at our own expense. You know, they folks there. They did pay for our hotel and our meals, but our plane ticket, uh, you and I both paid for out of our own pocket. Gladly so, because uh, it's an honor to be able to have these opportunities. And, um, uh, and yeah, I mean, sure, I do have a donate button on my, um, on my website, as do you. But the thing is, um, well, A, neither one of us is living high off the hog. Uh, you know, we're not stopping for a private jet anytime soon. But but the reason the reason we uh, do make it available for people to support our ministries, and I never ask for it, I never ask for it. But uh, I make it that option available simply, but simply so I can go on trips like this. I can go to the Philippines and, and preach at my own expense. I can go to Ecuador. I can go to Uganda. I can go to India. Uh, take these trips at my own expense and be able to reach some of these folks who can't afford to pay my way, but they're just as need, needing and just as deserving is the truth as folks who can pay for my expenses. So, so that's why the donate button's there. I guarantee you, we're not uh, we're not driving around in uh, Lamborghinis like like uh, the like, like the pastor there at the G twelve is doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and you know uh, the church was uh, so to be upfront with folks the church the 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 hosts that put this together were gracious enough to allow us to sell some of our books there so that we could recoup some and you know it was how it, it it didn't cover it wasn't going to cover all the costs of the flights we had donors that helped. All right, so so you and I were just talking really to, to wrap some things up when we got some of this criticism the 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 issue is is that what we often see with false teachers and those who support them is they want to set up a standard for their critics that they don't follow themselves. You pointed out the hypocrisy that these folks usually don't practice church discipline in their church, but they want you to practice it online. I think that the same thing applies when they're criticizing us in public. They're, they're saying that we are slandering, that we're doing it for money, that we're proud, arrogant, and, and all the things. I mean, when, when you're referring to motivations of why people do things, that's judging their motives. That actually is sin because it's not by a righteous standard because you don't know another person's heart unless you think you're God. So we shouldn't be judging motives. They were judging our motives. They were they were judging things that they don't know. And even when they're shown the evidence, because we we're talking about the, the finances, the, the some of the fa- the people who organized the thing in Cebu were like, hey, we didn't pay them anything. I mean, I think all all we got uh, from the folks in Cebu is a bag of, of some really good snacks. Uh, I finished up like all those mangoes, like 
literally, I think I did two bags of mangoes. As soon as I got home with my wife, we demolished them. But that was that was it. And they were like, hey, we, we didn't give anything. They don't change the fact that they're going to keep criticizing you. They're, but they were judging our motives. They were misaligning our character. We were not doing that. We were quoting them. And what they didn't want to do is set up a standard for you and I as the critiques of them that they don't hold to themselves. And this is, I think, very common we see with false teachers and their followers. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right, Andrew. Unfortunately, their followers are so poorly taught that they don't even have the ability to uh, understand these issues rightly. They they have their, their, their theology is entirely constructed off of little sound bites and tidbits and, and a few verses taken way out of context. And, uh, and, and woe to them, woe, woe be unto the, these false teachers that, that lead their people astray. Uh, there's a reason that James says, let not many of you desire to be teachers, my brethren, knowing that we will incur a stricter judgment. Uh, I, would, I would shudder to be in their shoes on judgment day uh, and have to give an account for how they have taken God's word and twisted it to suit their own personal desire. So yeah, all we did was quote them. We gave the scripture, the truth. Uh, there's nothing slanderous about that. We judge no one's motives. In fact, that's something I even teach in my seminar of uh, sincerity. You know, these false teachers, some of them are sincere, but it, you know, it doesn't matter. Sincerity is not the issue. Truth is the issue. So let's try to end on a, on a good note with some of the positive feedback that we've gotten, uh, from here now i've gotten message one of the other messages that i got uh just two days ago was someone that messaged me and said i left uh i left church sorry i left the church my family was going to mainly because two women in were in charge were very had leftist plots making political making politics more than jesus so we see that they were here's here's someone that they left they, some of the teaching that the on women's roles. Um, you know, I I had a comment here, and I don't, I don't know if you kept some of the comments that, that you want to go over, but th- here was one that, you know, said, uh, hey, Brother Andrew, thank you for reaching us here in Cebu. Uh, that day, God opens the, opened the heart of, of my brethren who practiced the Pentecostal theology and change to reform theology. Thank you. And glory be to God that he brought you and Justin here. You're, you're now the talk of the town in our church. Please pray for us that our senior pastor will also change. God bless. And you know, this is, this is, these are some of these people are people that go to uh, victory church, a very big, you know, church there, Word of Faith, NAR Church. Um, did you? What, what are some of the 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 you know the feedbacks you've gotten so far? Uh, yes, I, I don't have any pulled up in front of me right now that I can read, but uh, but I have received quite a bit of uh, very encouraging feedback, much the same way that uh, people's eyes have been opened. Uh, we've heard I've heard a number of reports of of people who are going to whether it's Victory Christian Fellowship or CCF, one of these other uh, wonky churches, say, I'm going to start looking for a good church. I've got to find a good church. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. That's what that's what you should do. And and you shouldn't stay in a bad church. If you, if you all of a sudden realize you're in a bad church, get out. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Uh, 
get out and find a good church. Okay, so one one of the questions you were asked was, and it'd be a good time for you to answer it here for folks, is the question, but what if I want to stay in this church to be a missionary? You had a very good answer for that. I should also mention that you and I had way more questions with 1,100 people than we could answer, and that they are going to send us all of the questions, and and you and I are going to do one or more episodes that it it might take. We, We had promised we would answer all the questions or we, we're going to try to, and so we will be doing that. But I want you to answer that question, because there are some people who think, well, I, sh- I should stay here, because now that I see the light, I should stay here and try to teach others. Is that wise counsel? No, it's not. And I know many people sincerely believe that, or they want to do that, but it's not wise counsel for a couple of reasons. One, the congregation, generally speaking, is not going to rise to a level of spiritual maturity above that of its leadership. It's just not going to happen. When it does happen to individuals who may be sitting in the congregation, they and they do exceed the spiritual maturity of the leadership of that particular church, then they start getting antsy, and they start looking around. They realize they're not being fed, and they start looking for a good church. That's the pattern. That's what we expect. Uh, But also, you know, for people who would say, well, I know this is not a good church, but I want to be a missionary. I want to be a source of light in this church. You're not going to change the church, okay? You're just not. Uh, you're not going to. You're not going to change everybody in the leadership of that church. It, it's just not going to happen. You need to be in a real church under biblically qualified elders where you can really serve the body of Christ. So if you're if you realize you're in a bad church. Okay, if you're in a bad church, you're not in a church. You need to get out of it. It's not a real church. If your elders are not biblically qualified, then you're not even in a real church. So what is the biblical mandate for Christians? We need to be in a real church. We need to be in a good, doctrinally sound church. So the very fact that you would stay there is in and of itself sinful. You would actually, even though your motives may be right, you're going to be sinning by staying in that church. So you need to get out of the bad church into a good church because that's what Christ wants for you. That's what Christ wants for every believer. Be in a good, doctrinally sound church, biblically qualified elders, and then and only then can you truly serve the body of Christ. Can you truly use the gifts that God has given you to edify the body? So don't don't say, get out. I I hope that this was... This podcast was an encouragement to folks who were there in the Philippines, maybe maybe some who weren't, who have tried to correct some false teachers and seen some of the same critics make, making the same critiques to them. As as I mentioned with Theology Gals and the, the Mops International, when they pointed out things, they said all they did was quote them. If it's a problem, then, you know, you shouldn't have said those things. But I, I think that this is a pattern we see with folks. And so maybe it is encouraging to some people I really want to say that this, I think I can speak for you as well on this, Justin. I think you and I got far more out of this, far more of a blessing than we were to others. It was, it really was a a great experience. Great to see that it was so well received that we're still weeks later, you know, even, even someone who went to victory, we preached, we did the conference on Saturday. They went to victory that next day on Sunday. They went the following Sunday, and it was on that following Sunday that on Monday they contacted me and said, I can't stay in victory. I need to go 
yeah. and find a new church. And it's still well, having the impact. And you can watch at Need God on Facebook. They have a Need God. The Need God Philippines has all of the, the conference messages from Cebu. So you can hear what we said. If you are saying, oh, you're slandering these guys, you can actually watch and hear exactly what we say. And you're going to see that what we did was quote what they said or played video clips of what they said. And therefore, if if there's something wrong in doing that, then the, the wrong is not in our part for quoting them. It's wrong in that what they said is wrong, and the people must know that, that they're saying it's wrong. And so it was a great event. I was, I was glad that even with in the one in the Sky Dome where the air conditioning wasn't working, very few people left, even at the end. You and I were up there for just, just a couple of minutes taking photos with people, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really wasn't many, just uh, you know, two or three, and we were, <laughs> we were done. Yeah, like two or three yeah. hours. <laughs> Yeah, my cheeks were hurting. You know, my cheeks were hurting and smiling so much. And yeah, every every time we would take a picture and someone would walk away, and I would I would almost like intentionally try to frown just to just to get my cheeks hurt. I, I you know my favorite picture, and I actually threw it on my Facebook walls as the um as the you know as the cover for Facebook is Jackson grabbed a picture just at the end all the all the photos were done we did all the book signings and he just grabbed a picture of you and I just sitting there and we were both just smiling and and he said after a long day they're still they're still all smiles and it, it was just a great candid picture that neither one of us even knew a picture was being taken and it really yeah. I I like that picture because it really captures you and I were just thrilled to be able to serve God there in the Philippines and yeah. yes, there was some critiques and criticism, but that only is saying that the things that were taught had an impact. It's right. You throw you throw a stone into a pack of cats. The one that screeches is the one that you hit. We hit some more yeah. you than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe a little bit more me than you, just because of the nature of uh, our, our talks. But yeah, yeah, we. Um we hit some, that's, that's for sure. We, we did, but, uh, you know, it goes back to what I said a little while ago. You speak the truth and you trust God for the results and, uh, you trust God's word will do what it is. God has decreed it to do and it will. God's word is infallible. That means it will do what God has decreed it to do. And so that's one of the, one of the blessings of, of, of having a high view of the sovereignty of God is, is you know, the results are not up to you. Thank goodness. Uh, the results are not up to me, not up to you. I mean, we would fail miserably if they were. You just, you just present the truth and and watch God do His thing. And so, I said in one of my talks, you and I don't look forward to having to address these issues and and name names and things like that. We are not looking forward to it. We don't want to do that. We feel like Jude compelled to do it. We'd rather talk about our common salvation, but these things have to be addressed. And that's why we do it. It's not that we, we, we would much prefer that all these false teachers would stop teaching false teaching. So there wouldn't be a need for it. But until that time comes, we have to protect those that are God's children from false teachers because they prey on false teachers. I actually had said that I think one of the reasons that the NAR, which I would consider as a cult, is so dangerous is because unlike other cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and others, they end up leaving the Christian circles and being on their own. 
but the NAR isn't. They still want to stay within the Christian circles to prey on the Christians. And that's the problem because there's there's a blurring of the lines. And that's why we have to stand up and say, no, this is not what the Bible says. That's right. That's right, Andrew. And that's an excellent point. You know, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't even claim to be Christian. They're, they're their own thing. Uh, but these guys, Word Faith, NAR, they do make that claim. Uh, and not to bring up a sore subject from a couple years ago, that's why I don't see Islam as the, as the spiritual threat that I do um, Word Faith, NAR. Why? Because it's outside of Christianity. Uh, false te- that when you look at the New Testament, false teachers claim to be within the body of Christ. Mormons don't make that claim, not 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 in the um, in, in the in the true biblical sense. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses don't; they're their own thing, and, and Muslims sure don't. Muslims Muslims make that claim far less than Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. So, um, uh, so but the word faith in AR they do claim to be evangelical. Mormons don't, Jehovah's Witnesses don't, Muslims obviously don't. Um, are, are they a threat in a, in a different way? Of course. Are, are they a threat physically to the safety of believers in different parts of the world? Of course they are. I've been to some of these places. I know that. But uh, but they don't they don't believe in the deity of Christ. Uh, so um, they don't fit the, what the how the New Testament describes false teachers. They're not wolves in sheep's clothing. They're just wolves. So. Um, Anyway, I digress. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And, and we really were blessed to be there. And I think that um, it, it, it was something that was helpful for the body of Christ there in the Philippines. I hope it does have an impact in a good way. Look, folks, if, if there's folks listening that are in the Philippines, maybe you're still in Victory or G, G12 or one of these others, you can reach out to us. We'll be happy to try to explain why we have such concern. You can, you can check us out on Twitter. I'm at Andrew. Rappaport, or you can go to j- at Justin Peters Min on Twitter. We're both on Twitter. We, you can reach us there. You can reach me at strivingforeternity.org. You can reach Justin at justinpeters.org. So we have contact pages on there. If you are having concerns, if you have issues that you're still struggling with, if you think that we were wrong in, in what was said, or if you think that somehow we were not understanding the issues, we'd be happy to correct if we're wrong. Because we have a disagreement doesn't mean we're wrong. If we're saying that this is how we come to the conclusion, this is what Scripture says, someone is saying that the Catholics, that a, a Catholic teacher is a man of God, when the Catholics don't have a biblical view of salvation, they don't believe in justification alone, right? And, and by, by grace alone. So when you have that, this is what Scripture says. It doesn't matter that you want to build bridges with other things, with other religions. Look, if you want to build a bridge with a false religion and there's similarity that you guys have, the scripture is very clear that light has nothing to do with darkness. You don't partner with people, light and darkness. So if you're partnering with darkness, if you're partnering with a false religion and you see this as good, the only conclusion I could come to is you don't have the Holy Spirit and you are dark. And that's why you can get along. I would not be able to do ministry with a Roman Catholic or a Muslim. Why? Because they need the gospel. 
They need to get saved. And for for Joey Bonifacio to not be concerned for Bo Sanchez's salvation either says he doesn't understand what Catholic theology is. Now, maybe it's that Bo Sanchez is going to say he doesn't believe in Catholic theology because you can't believe in Roman Catholic theology and be saved. You can be Roman Catholic and not understand the theology. That's possible. But you can't believe in Roman Catholic theology and be saved. And if Joey Bonifacio is listening to to Bo Sanchez and is not concerned for his soul, then the only thing I could do as someone who's an observer on the outside is wonder, is he saved? And that seems so hard to say. But if I love this man, then I would tell him, if I could, that this is a concern. Because what's more important, that his feelings get hurt or that he's right with God? I would rather his feelings get hurt and he gets right with God than worry about his feelings and he spends eternity in a lake of fire. And that's, I think, the heart that Justin and I would have. We don't want to see these people in the flames. And that's why the conference was called Snatch Them from the Flames. We were looking to try to snatch some who are in the flames of false teaching, as Jude says, so that they would be taught biblically and be on the right with God on a right path. Justin, any last words that you have? Well, Andrew, I just want to say again what a blessing it was to be on this trip with you. Um, I thank you very much for all of the help you give me. You're a good brother, a good friend. And folks, uh, if you're listening, I can tell you Andrew is is a very, very selfless person and uh, a good brother. I'm honored to, to count him as a friend and honored to be a co-laborer in the Word with him. So um, that's it, brother. Praise the Lord. And um, may God bless you and all of our listeners. And may he be glorified in And And you were okay when I stole your scooter and left you standing there and ran off, right? Yeah, yeah, I was okay. I was wondering where in the world you were going. But yeah, I was okay with it. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on and we're, we're going to do another episode in the future when we get the questions and you and I'll do some, some, uh, Q and a and folks be checking out Justin's podcast, did If you don't know how to spell it, that's okay. Just in your podcast app, just search for Justin Peters and that's going to be starting up pretty soon. So be looking forward to that and be praying for Justin. We, you know, we mentioned that he wasn't feeling well on the way down. Um, and I know you have not mentioned this at all, so I'll get the last word in here, but uh, you're, there was some health concerns that you had with your arm, uh, just losing some strength in it. And so be praying for Justin as he's going to be meeting with some doctors to uh, find out exactly what's happening there and uh, and that the doctors would have wisdom and, and be able to, to rectify that if that's the Lord's will. But again, we thank those who are there. And next up, we're going to have a really special interview, and you do not want to miss it. I just want to let you know, those of you who've been listening, and we've mentioned, both Justin and I, that we went to the Philippines purely on donations from others, and that is how we can do these things. And therefore, We want to appeal to you if you'd consider helping to donate so we could do more trips like this. I do have some folks over in Japan that would like to know if we can come over there to do some training in preparation for the 2020 Olympics. They would like to be trained to evangelize knowing that tens or maybe even hundreds of thousands of people will be coming to their city and they want to get the gospel out. But they cannot afford to get us over there or me over there. So we need help 
to be able to do trips like this in places that can't afford it, not only in the smaller churches that we try to target, but also overseas, and that takes more. So if you would consider donating, that would be of great help. You can go to strivingforeternity.org slash donate, and you could donate today. Now, if you donate at least $2 a month, we will send you a free copy of What Do We Believe? If you donate $5 a month, you'll get a copy of What Do We Believe plus What Do They Believe? If you donate $10 a month, you will get the two books already mentioned and On the Origin of Kinds by Dr. Anthony Svestro. If you donate $20 a month, you will get those three books plus the book Sharing the Good News with Mormons. And if you could donate $25 a month, what we're looking to do is try to get missionaries that we could get them equipment, pay for their hosting, and get them, instead of writing newsletters, to actually do a podcast to update their churches, something we have in mind. So if you could help out in this way, it would be a great help. Of course, we're not going to turn away dollars $200, $500 a month. We'd be able to take that as well gladly, but you could go to strivingforeternity.org slash donate, and there you'd be able to donate on Patreon or PayPal. There's an address you could send a check to if you choose to do that. Thanks in advance for any donations that you provide. Okay, now is time for the interview that we mentioned earlier. Both Chris and I were very impressed with this young lady, Abigail, who runs Reformation Pages. She's 14 years old, and we were quite impressed with her maturity. I hope you are too. And check out her pages at Reformation Pages on Facebook, and also she has a Twitter. So check those out. Follow her. All right, so I have a special guest with me for this section of the rap report. She is the person behind Reformation Pages. She, I met her out here. Well, actually, I've met her before in California, but she's out here in the Philippines, and she was at the Snatch Them from the Flames conference. Actually, you had something more to do with that, but we'll get to that in a minute, yeah. see if we can get that person behind you on, on, the, on the show. But uh, her name is Abigail, and... She is well. I'm going to let her introduce herself, and I'll let you get let her give you her age because you're not going to be a little bit surprised as we have the conversation when you realize how old she actually is because you're going to think, oh, she's lying like I do. But go ahead, introduce yourself. Hello there. My name is Abigail. I am 14 years old. I've been I've been living in Philippines, and I saw Andrew Rappaport on California during the Shepherds Conference and we discussed about topics during that time. Then he recently found out that I actually owned Reformation Pages. In case you guys didn't know about that that group, it actually tackles or quotes uh, quotes of pastors or preachers around around the world in the Philippines or in America. So I tried to find good quotes on on teaching about theology, on on the attributes of God, whatever is really reformed for Reformation pages. Okay, so we recently had a conference that was sort of put together by someone you know, maybe a couple people you know. What do you think? Yes, it was actually placed together and thought about by my dad, who's the pastor of our church. And, and what's the church name? 
the the name of my church is Rock of Refuge Christian Church. It's reformed, yeah, and it follows teachings like John MacArthur, Steve Lawson, and all those reformed preachers. Okay, so we're recently out here in the Philippines for Snatch Them from the Flames. What do you think um, you learned the most out of this conference? So during this conference, I learned about the false teachers, how they roll, and what exactly they tackle and and how they try to entrap people to attend their churches, which is really through prosperity teaching. People like in the Catholic churches here in Philippines, they're starting to merge with prosperity uh, prosperity churches, which is really turning out to be a disaster because many Christians are being led astray and they are confused why the Catholic Church is partnering with some of the quote-unquote Christian churches. So that's why there's like a really big topic trending right now and many Christians are confused. So that's why recently this conference, Snatch Them from the Flames, decided to tackle about that by Justin Peters and Andrew Rappaport. So it's been really good, and many people love learning about the background of the false teachers. What are some of the things you walk away with from this conference? So I learned that how false teachers, they would... I learned about the backgrounds first of the false teachers. For guys like... You can name names. Okay, guys like, (laughs) you know... um, We're not afraid of naming names. Go for it. (laughs) <laughs> so I learned about guys like Benny Hinn, Robert Morris, how they, how they would they first they would partner with each other and then this caused many Christians to be confused about why they partner with Roman Catholicism. As I said earlier, then I also learned how how they would really try to make their messages and sermons to try to get more money from the people attending which explains why they are really rich <laughs> yeah and I had uh, I <clears throat> I know I quoted one of the guys and I, 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 I I'm going to look at your dad's to make sure I pronounce the name right because it was Oreo Baliano I'm trying to make sure I get the pronunciation Baliano uh, and it was very interesting because he, he took the Verse that should say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and yeah. he said he says that 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 we that some say that the love of money is the root of all evil, but he says the lack of money is the root of all evil, and uh, I guess it was interesting for me at least when I mentioned his name. There's like this groan throughout the entire stadium, yeah. like Ugh. there were screenshots on the projector taking photos of the of the pastor of G12 because this is their first time hearing it from from another preacher. And and everyone's happy with what Justin and I said, right? Yeah, most of them are. <laughs> <laughs> there were quite mixed reactions. You mean like the woman preacher that left when we when Justin mentioned about women preachers? Oh yeah, she walked out. <laughs> what a reaction. So before before the the conference, actually before Snatch Them from the Flames, we had a couple other events that that your dad had arranged. So we had one at, at your church on church discipline, and 
uh, and then Justin spoke on uh, childhood conversion. And then I'll, so talk about that, and I'll let you mention what we did on Friday. Okay, so during church discipline, it was first mainly was Andrew Rappaport teaching us how a church should discipline each other before, and it makes, he taught us how to approach the one that you have conflict with, and but 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 really the main thing before doing Matthew 18 was checking yourself first if you had any wrong checking yourself if is this really a sin that i had or he did he or she did to me with this other believer and it's really a self check first before you do Matthew 18 on your on the on your brother or sister in Christ and now let's say if this really was a sin that he or she did to you you need to tell them, and you can't let the sin or bitterness in your heart fester because love that tolerates sin is not love at all. So really, you should, if if you have a problem with your brother or sister in Christ, you need to approach them before the sin festers and really gets deeper and bigger and the bitterness hardens until, until it finally explodes. And then Justin Peters later that afternoon talked to us a special bonus topic on childhood conversion. Just because a child grows up in Christian family does not automatically mean that the child is now a Christian because and even when the child is baptized, because baptism really is just telling people that you're a Christian. It's a proclamation. Becoming a Christian is really repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now if the child does that which is really great, and you should encourage them to to mature more in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in glorifying Him. And it would be great to see the results of the faith of the child before they can get baptized. So that's really what what Justin Peters taught about in the afternoon, and he and he also showed us examples of how true conversion is as a Christian, which means you need to have. A love for the brethren, godly affection, especially love for Christ, continuous love for Christ, your faith in Him, really all the conversions that would show when you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, tr- I mean, the examples to show that godly affection and all that when, if you're a Christian. So that's what Justin Peters taught in the afternoon, while Andrew Rappaport taught us church discipline in the morning, which greatly helped. And I would really suggest that your church goes through learning how to do apply church discipline because it would really benefit the members of the church. What do we do on Friday? On Friday, we had an open air. So Andrew Rappaport taught us how to do an how to do an actual open air for all the brethren for all the brethren in my church. How to like you can't turn your back around the people or else the people will start to leave and how your voice needs to be loud enough for the people to hear how you need to show especially show respect to the people unlike other Christians sadly when they step up on the box they would immediately argue with the people with no respect or honor and which is why the people would start to turn against the preacher. But really, in an open air, you should show respect and compassion and gentleness. 
because then the people would see how Christians would act. Because remember, you're a representative of God here, and how you act would show how Jesus acted, which really is a huge responsibility. And then we did something that I've never done before. We went inside a mall. Now, I've been inside a mall and evangelized, and I've been outside doing open air, but there's no way I could get away with what we did here in the Philippines. We went into a mall, set up a big amplifier right in the middle of Atrium, and just started preaching the gospel. How did that go? Well, praise God, many people encircled around Andrew Rappaport and started listening to what he had to say. And... Some of them got the free books and tracks, and some of them even listened up to the end of his open-air preaching, which is really praise God. And even though there were other preachers that came next after Andrew Rappaport, some people came and went, Some, but some people you could see that they were really listening, and I, and I pray that it really convicted their hearts. Now, I noticed that you and your sister don't seem to go very many places without handing out gospel tracts. I think, actually, I could be wrong, but you seem like you make, you put me to shame, and I hand out a lot of tracts, but you two are like track machines. So you enjoy giving out gospel tracts. You, you enjoy talking with folks. Talk about the evangelism that, that you do. I know your dad is very involved with, with evangelism and, and very supportive of Living Waters. And so and you've gotten to see Ray Comfort live do some open air, so we could even talk about that. So, um, well, really, my it was my parents who trained me to give tracks ever since I was a kid. That's why I got so used in giving tracks immediately to other people. Although it's not easy, I can tell you, because sometimes when you're going to hand out tracks, you're going to see... Before you hand out the tracks, you will look at the people's face. Sometimes it's really uh, old and grumpy, and you're afraid to give the track to them. But even sometimes, some of the old people or grouchy people that I give tracks to, after you give it to them and explain to them what this really is, you're going to see their faces brighten up, and it's really encouraging to see that. So don't hesitate to keep giving out tracks, because you're really sharing the gospel of Christ and what he did. Did you enjoy when we were out in California for Shepherd's Conference, uh, getting to see Ray Comfort do some open air? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. If you guys are ever in Los Angeles, you should really see Ray Comfort open air in Huntington, California. The experience you have is so exciting. It just makes you want to share the gospel all the more. So really recommended. I mean, to see Ray Comfort preach in live is, was just so awestruck. <laughs> So we're we're right now we're down in Cebu. Now we were in Manila for the conference. We're gonna do the same conference again tomorrow in Cebu. So let, let's talk about Reformation Pages, the page that you run. You have this both you have a Twitter and you have Facebook. Yeah. And so for folks who don't know or don't follow either one on Facebook or on Twitter, my encouragement is go out there and find those pages or tweet. I don't know what a Twitter page would be, but I'm not big on the Twitter. But f- go out and follow Reformation Pages on Twitter and find the group. I think it's a – is it a group or a page? on? Page, on yeah. It's a page. So find the page. Like the page because you like pages and you join groups on Facebook. So like the page Reformation uh, Pages. And let's talk about that. And what, what, what was your goal in setting that up and what do you try to do with that? I really wanted to gather the quotes of – 
good Reformed preachers to encourage the body of Christ or convict them because sometimes, I mean, I just wanted to find good quotes to encourage, really, because sometimes when you're a believer and and you just need a good old quote by one of the Reformed preachers to cheer you up or convict you. Yeah. <laughs> so I just thought to do that for for the my for the other believers or for other Christians. So you're 14 years old, which I both Justin and I have talked. We are amazed in your maturity at your age. Um, I know Justin just uh, was sharing with me how uh, we were talking about during the uh, different events this week about the attributes of God and things like that. And he was commenting to me how you're, you're starting to, to view the attributes of God and look through the, the chart that we, we have at Striving Fraternity and how that affected your, your worship. So why don't you share with, what you had shared with him? Oh, yeah. So um, recently, after Andrew Rappaport taught us about learning the attributes of God and applying it to your life, or because the more you know God, the more you would love Him. So after hearing that, I tried to apply it to my quiet time to read in reading the Bible. And recently, especially this morning, I was studying First Peter, where there was a verse there that said, To Him be the dominion for all ages and ages. Amen. And the word dominion there is also power. And the one attribute of God came to mind to me was, God is being God being omnipotent, which means all powerful. And there's the verse in Jude where it says, "All glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore." When you, I read all those, all those power words describing God, how powerful He is, how great He is. It just struck me: if God is that powerful, that, and if I sin, then it shows how low I view God. I mean. I should be dead right now, but it's only because of His grace I'm still alive and being able to serve Him. He's that powerful, and it made me thought, how do I show honor and reverence to the King of Kings? Mm-hmm. So that's how I was really amazed how the attributes of God could really fit into your quiet time and make you have a deeper view of God and more respect and reverence. Now, your dad put me up to doing something, didn't he? But at the end on Sunday, we were at church, and uh, there's something that now something that I was willing to do that Justin Peters was not. What was that? Well, he made Andrew Rappaport eat balut. So why don't you describe what balut is for folks? For folks who don't know what balut is, it's an egg that, and it's not your typical kind of egg. When you, it's an it's a duck egg. So when you open it, you could still see the. The chick's head, the brain, and the soup <laughs> inside it. But, but Andrew Rappaport ate it, and Justin Peters' reaction was like, whoa. <laughs> it was fascinating to see Andrew Rappaport eat it. <laughs> Usually foreigners would really not eat that kind of egg and try to avoid it. But Andrew Rappaport ate it, and we were like, what? You just ate balut? Is this real? So it's it's a a fertilized egg yeah. that has a developing duckling, and uh, Justin didn't do it, but he did have the he did he did have a little bit today of the pig's blood. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> and so you, that that was so 
he I had to have some because I wasn't going to let Justin win, right? Yes. All right. Because now that Andrew Rappaport ate it, he could say, Justin, I win. And speaking of that, you should really go to the site, justiniwin.com. And Andrew Rappaport will explain why. Oh, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> oh, wow. I was going to ask you. Yes, you should go to justiniwin.com. We actually had your entire church. That was great for a picture. You know, most people will say, like, smile or say Jesus or something to get people to smile. We all shouted, Justin, I win. I think all but Justin yeah. said that. Hmm. Wish we had video of that. But, yeah, it's for folks who are regular listeners of The Rap Report, you know that I, I'm constantly trying to get everyone to support Justin Peters Ministries. And so we created a web page that, well, it's just for a lot of fun, um, of Justin and I who... We're kind of having a battle. He wanted he wanted to give me some of his DVDs. Yeah. I wanted to pay for the DVDs. It just got a little bit of a, out of hand and turned into something where we created a website called Justin I Win. So that all of you could donate to Justin's ministry and you could go to justiniwin.com. There's a link to go and donate. You get to donate to Justin and just make sure you hashtag Justin I win so that I get the bragging rights. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> See, it's win-win either way, yeah. right? He gets yeah. the money, I get the bragging rights. Yes. Sounds like a good deal. It's a good deal, really. You guys should really donate to Justin Peters. He's a great preacher, and he would really uh, love the support you give him. So what do you think the chances are we're going to get your dad to come over here? You don't, You think that's going to happen? Yeah, I think the chances of my dad joining is 100%. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't video. We can't see he's saying, no, no, no. No, you you know, this was actually, so uh, since he's not going to come on, we'll just, I'm just going to talk about him in the conference. One of the things that amazed me was your dad didn't take any of the limelight. He actually didn't do any of the emceeing, put on all the work, um, and didn't, take any of the credit it was kind of a very interesting thing is that typically the way he is yeah yeah he really doesn't like to be in the spotlight and as much as possible he'd let others take the credit is that why he's embarrassed right now and covering his eyes yes <laughs> yes very much so <laughs> you know but i i i mentioned to your dad this this conference was probably out of oh i've traveled all around and do many conferences I was thoroughly impressed with the conference, the way the whole church just came together and worked as one to pull off this conference. There was, uh, I, f- I forget, was it was it 1,100 or 1,200 people in attendance? 1,092. It was 1,092 people in attendance. But praise God, it really went well. That was a lot of work. Yeah, and everyone came together, yeah. worked as one, which... Uh, really characterized well what we see in First Corinthians chapter twelve, where it talks about many members in one body, um, and it really was impressive to see the way the church uh, functions together as one. Uh, so you you like that church? Don't don't look at Dad with answering this. Oh yeah, I um I love my church. It's really by God's grace that we're able to be in unity, and I think. Continuing to be in unity really means in studying the Bible and loving God first, because when you love God, you would love the brethren all the more. Um, yeah. How's, how's the preaching there? Is the, the pastor pretty cool? Yeah, the, pres- 
There's a big genius. <laughs> he, dad's saying, no, no, no. <laughs> he, he, I think he's trying to compete with Justin Peterson, who could be more humble. I, I think they're both working at it. And I think both of them put me to shame, just saying. But so any, any other things, any other thoughts you had so far from the week and, and or the things you want to share with uh, the ministry you have online? Uh, well, it's praise God really that all these seminars went well, and really, I mean, did the ministry continue working for God's glory even when things look bleak? God is sovereign, and really to stay in unity, because through that the church could stick together and help each other to love Christ more and to serve Him. All right, so folks, that was Abigail and. If you're wondering, like I am, is she really 14 years old? Yeah, she actually is, just way, way, way mature uh, than her age. And so I hope that you guys enjoyed that. And if you're saying, well, gee, uh, I don't know that I speak like that, and I'm in my whatever age, and it's more than 14, yeah, maybe you need to up your game. But go check out Reformation Pages on both Twitter and Facebook and follow them. See what uh, different quotes and things she is putting out. Pray for the results of the Cebu Conference because it is, it's having some effects in here in the Philippines already, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I pray that it would have good effects and convicting hearts. So we uh, we thank you for coming on, and it is it really has been for both Justin and I a privilege to to get to see how God has been working in your life and how mature you you are. It's a testimony to both your parents, but it's a, a big testimony to you as well. Oh, thank you, Andrew Rappaport, for having me, and thank you, Justin Peters. I mean, it's really because after when you two came, I really learned a lot from both of you. And it has encouraged me a lot as well. And my family has blessed my church. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for coming on. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Ed Romaine. Oh, this could be really fun. Ed Romaine's calling. Should we add him in? Oh, yeah, sure. Add him in. Let's, yeah. let's have fun. Hold on. <laughs> hey, Ed. Hey. Hey, Ed. How are you? Well, say, why don't you say, you? hey, listen, I just want to let you know, I should let you know up front, you're right now being recorded for rap, the Rap Report podcast with Justin Peters. So say hi to Justin. Hey, Justin. <laughs> hey, Ed, how's it going, brother? Every fucking I do, this happens, so that's pretty cool, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say. So. We got we got Ed speechless. So Ed, we we're talking about our trip to the to, that we had at the Philippines, and you'll you'll get to be able to hear this with when the podcast drops. But uh, for folks who don't know Ed, Ed is a, a dear brother who has cerebral palsy. Uh, but my favorite story about Ed, I got to tell the story Ed about you in New York with the guy that wanted to hit you. It's it's just my favorite story. I I. I love it. So we were in New York, and you you were there in your wheelchair. You had a, a wireless mic on, and you're sitting there. We got big speakers set up, and you were just preaching the gospel. And some guy was really angry, yelling at the speakers that he was going to punch you if you didn't stop it. And he, he couldn't figure out who was doing the talking. And you just looked at him, and you said, you're going to punch a guy in a wheelchair? And he just zoomed in on you, realized what he was doing, 
and then walks over, gives you a fist pump, and says, keep up the good work, man, and walked off. And I was just like, Ed, what was that? You're like, you can get away with a lot of things in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, hey, listen, um, can I, I'm going to give you a call back because we, we only have about 10 minutes to wrap up with Justin. Awesome. Well, hey, you know what? Justin is the better of the two of us. So. He's the what? He's the better looking of the two of us. No, he's he's the better looking of the three of us. But <laughs> all right, I'm going to give you. I'm going to. I'm going to give you a call back in a, in a bit. Okay. Okay, sounds good. All right. I am here, brother. Bye. Bye, guys. All right, Ed is a great guy. Uh, yeah. He is. Yeah, he is. Sweet brother. And we'll see if that makes it in the podcast, but maybe it should because Ed's so good. 